Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Our thanks again to uh, Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, truly appreciate him coming in and spending some time with us in the huddle. And you are in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We're talking about uh, the changing landscape uh, at wide receiver and, you know, uh, guys getting paid, quarterbacks uh, getting paid um, the way they've been getting paid and, and uh, you know, tight ends getting paid the way they've been getting t- paid. And I think the Raiders are sitting on um, a situation where they've got – and this is a good problem to have. This is a good problem to have in terms of you've got talented players. You've got a really good quarterback in Derek Carr. You've got a great tight end uh, in Darren Waller. You've got a great young wide receiver, uh, slot wide receiver in in Hunter Renfro. That's a good problem to have. It's Max Crosby, a dynamic defensive end, homegrown guys. And Darren Waller isn't quote-unquote a homegrown guy, but – I don't think any of us remember him with the Baltimore Ravens. I certainly don't. My memories of Darren Waller are with the Raiders. So he's kind of quasi uh, homegrown guy. You want to reward guys like that uh, that come up through the system, that pay their dues, uh, and then and then you know uh, whether it's their second contract or a third contract, if they've earned it, they've earned it. It's it's a good problem to have. Too, for too many, uh, for too long, we've written about the Raiders and talked about the Raiders in terms of missing out on free agents and draft picks and blowing it and not being able. Here are guys in Derek Carr, Darren Waller, and Hunter Renfro that they hit home runs on, um, and now they have to figure out a way to pay these guys. And I think all of them are deserving of, uh, of a, a new uh, a payday. And the question is, how do the uh, Raiders? make that work. And we're going to bring in a good friend of ours, Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus to kind of explain it and maybe break it down in a way that we all understand and how the Raiders can pull this off. Brad, thanks for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. You got it. You got it. Okay, so let's get to it. Uh, obviously, Stephon Diggs was the latest in line uh, today, got a new contract um, and, and set a new market at wide receiver. Um, he joins the likes of Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill um, and DeAndre Hopkins as, as the highest-paid wide receivers in the game, all well-deserved. Um, the Raiders are, are sitting here in a, in a, in a curious situation, uh, Brad. You've got Darren Waller, who, much like – Stephon Diggs is looking at a two years left on his contract where he's underpaid relative to his peers. Hunter Renfro has played his way into a new contract. I think uh, Derek Carr has as well. If you're the Raiders, how do you go about sorting all of this out in a way that you can make everybody happy, and can you? Yeah, so a couple things you said at the top that I, that I really agree with and like, and first and foremost is you know looking at these deals now for Tyreek Hill and Stephon Diggs, and maybe this plays into their ability to pay more guys, but the Raiders actually now got Devontae Adams making that move early, maybe anticipating some of these other extensions to come. He's now the third highest paid yes. when you look at the real money on the deal. So so that certainly helps, and that's step one. I do think you probably want to get the quarterback done first and foremost going forward. Um, but it's not, you know, Waller is interesting. I think Waller is one of the more unique contract situations of the last several years, like you said. Deserves to be at least among the top paid tight ends. We have seen far inferior players at the position get basically double what he's owed, you know, per year the next two years, about six, seven million. We've seen guys get, you know, 13 million that are not as good as he is. But, you know, going to be 30 years old, obviously, you know, had the injury last year. So, long story short, I, I do think you need to get new money to him. 
I think you need to get him on maybe if it's a shorter deal, like a Travis Kelsey, like a, you know, a, a, a true two-year extension, but he's got to get some new money. Um, and then Renfro becomes interesting because do you want to get all those guys already paid Crosby, paid Adams, then you pay Carr and Waller hypothetically. Maybe you wait until Renfro does hit free agency after that fourth contract year. But like you said, he's played his way into a new deal. All right, let's talk about uh, Darren Waller a, a little bit more. Um, he is underpaid at his um, you know, current, the, what's left on his contract, all right? Is he the equal to Travis Kelsey? Um, I don't know. I think on any given Sunday, you probably could say that he is. Uh, you know, you can make the argument that uh, that on any given Sunday, he's as good or better than Travis Kelsey, a different sort of a player. Um, but, you know, he's in that argument. He's in that conversation. What could a deal... Uh, for Darren Waller, look like that would um, th- that would reflect what he's done and um, you know reward him in a way that he's probably deserved. Yeah, I mean he's in that same echelon of a guy that you know can get like 15 targets in a game and can truly kind of take over as the primary pass catcher in an offense. So you know whether or not you want to you know people want to squabble over him versus Kelsey, he is he's in that conversation. I think it's fair to say that no no question. Um, you know if I'm him, I'm looking for. You know, at least $13 million a year. Um, realistically, I would say, you know, let's say three-year extension at $14 million per year around there. He could certainly try to surpass, you know, maybe even surpass a Kittle at 15 and try to top the market. Um, he probably could make that argument, but because he has a two years left on his deal, I think they'll probably find a middle ground where, you know, he doesn't have a ton of career earnings because of the slow start to his NFL career, and maybe they find a, a common ground you know, near the top of the market, but not resetting the market. What about guaranteed money? Well, you know, that comes down to the Raiders' structure contract. So, um, you know, I think it's got to be stronger than Kelsey's. Kelsey's really was kind of just tacking on some years to finish out his career. Um, and for Waller, you know, it's the same as, as Crosby, where you're not going to get a big signing bonus, um, and you'll probably get guarantees in the first year of the deal. But beyond that, it's not going to be super strong. Um so yeah, that's just kind of a Raiders thing where they don't they don't like to guarantee a ton of money, but it'll definitely again be you know near the top as, as close as they can get to the top at the position group. All right, we're at a time of year where um, you know maybe he could push some buttons, uh, Darren Waller, and um, you know kind of let it be known and know in certain terms that he really does feel like um, he he deserves a new contract. Would you be surprised if anything went down in that regard? We've got uh, the offseason program starting on Monday. Um, could this be where he pulls some uh, or pushes some buttons in that regard? I think it's a great question because I kind of feel like it's now or never, right? Like yeah. if he. <clears throat> If he doesn't do that, then I think, you know, not now or never. He could, of course, after this season, then try to do it again. But you would think if he was going to put his foot down and say, look, especially as you mentioned, we've now seen guys like Stephon Diggs, even a guy like Xavier Howard making a false last offseason, getting some minor concessions, then now getting his extension, getting that nice, you know, that, that new money, new cash flow, that signing bonus. So I do. I think. If he's going to do it, it's probably going to be in the near future. We're talking to Brad uh, Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. We always appreciate uh, his insight, and you can follow him at PFF underscore Brad. Um, Well, the NFL owners' meetings were last week, and Josh McDaniels talking about Derek Carr uh, and the contract negotiations between he and the Raiders. He's got one year left, roughly $20 million uh, on that deal, and uh, no doubt that I think both sides want to figure something out, but they haven't quite got to that sweet spot uh, that Josh McDaniels uh, referred to in Florida last week. Where do you think that sweet spot might lie for Derek Carr and the Raiders? 
Yeah, you know, I think the Raiders organization was probably pretty happy with the Matthew Stafford extension, frankly. Um, I think there were some people expecting him to try to maybe even surpass a Patrick Mahomes and not reach 50, but maybe get, you know, four years at $46 million per year or something like that. And he came in at, you know, $40 million per year, you know, over four years, 160 total. It was very strong guarantees. I want to say 110 guarantees, maybe more than that. Um but, but didn't really push the market as far as he could have. And I think the Raiders will probably say, hey, look, another example of a third contract quarterback who got that big, you know, we, we, they, he topped the market the first time just like you did, but then he was willing to take a little bit less to help us build around him. We just traded for your best friend and had to give him a nice big, you know, new extension. So I, I think that 40 number is, is still the sticking point, but I can see the Raiders now saying, look like let's go just below that 38 39 um but i would be surprised if car takes less than 40. interesting uh on 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 that note uh when we look at the wide receiver market uh brad it's just exploded this offseason i think it's indicative of um, the kind of talent that we're talking about now uh, and explosiveness and impact uh, that some of these high, high-end wide receivers um, you know, have in the NFL. And, and when we look at the ever-changing landscape at wide receiver, uh, are you surprised at all at how high that number has gone? Or is just this, like I said, indicative of how important that position has become? I think it is. It's showing how important these guys are and that you can truly, you know, change your entire outlook of your season. Yes, he's a rookie guy, so it kind of works against it, but like bringing a guy like a Jamar Chase to the Bengals takes him from, you know, the, the, one of the worst teams in the league. Of course, that other things go well as well, but he becomes your immediate number one guy and, and your offense is an elite offense when they're, when they're chum, you know, churning. So I do. I think teams are realizing these elite upper echelon guys are they going to, Reach, you know, edge defender money, probably not, but right behind it, right? Quarterbacks, then edge defenders, and then receivers. And I think that is the positional value. I think there's a fair argument. Those are the top three. What was your position uh, when you saw what the Kansas City Chiefs did with Tyreek Hill? I, you can see it from both perspectives. There's no doubt about it. But where do you side most, with the player or the organization? And do you feel like the Kansas City Chiefs made a prudent decision or a hasty decision? You know, that, it's a very complicated situation there. So even coming into 2022, uh, or excuse me, coming into 2021 last year, they were trying to add void years onto his deal to, to add some cap space. He basically said, no, you can either extend me or you're just not going to get any cap space. So already kind of some tensions there. And then part of his money in this upcoming season from the Chiefs was a lot of it was tied into per-game roster bonuses. So to me, it showed they still don't really have a ton of faith in Tyreek Hill, the person. I don't want to speculate too much, but that is what the contract told me. Um, and he said, look, I want signing bonus. I want salary. I don't want money that I have to basically be healthy and be on the active game day roster just to earn. But they were kind of uncomfortable, you know, structuring it in such a, a strong way in the player's favor. So once the two sides figured out they were not going to come to an agreement, then I think it made sense for Kansas City to go ahead and do this. What I don't really understand, though, is it sounds like the Jets had made an offer They'd agreed to that offer, Kansas City did, and they were kind of working through it, and then Miami caught wind and jumped into the mix. I don't really get why, I don't know. If I was the Jets, I'd be pretty pretty annoyed. I'll, tell you, I'll put it that way. Because <laughs> that had gone close to the goal line when all of a sudden the Miami Dolphins jumped in and said, here we are, we want to be part of this. I can understand why they'd be upset uh, as well. Um, Brad, 
you know, obviously we saw what happened with Deshaun Watson, um, with the Cleveland Browns and the money that he got, a lot of money that, that he got. Uh, Lamar Jackson has just been kind of being patient and sitting back. Um, I want to say, is he acting as his own agent right now? He is, yep. All right. Um, and I think that it's, it's – it's, I don't know. I want to say that it's kind of paid off because sitting back and waiting, um, the quarterback – uh, market again keeps changing, and and obviously uh, Deshaun Watson changed it dramatically. How much does that realistically change where Lamar Jackson is right now in terms of uh, his worth and what he should realistically expect from a contract extension with the with the Baltimore Ravens? And you think that happens? Yeah, you know, I think it, like you're saying there is some strategy to it, and it could be smart. Whereas, you know, in, in terms of you come off a huge good season. The market's always going to grow, and you kind of get paid at your peak. Whereas this offseason, you know, he was injured last year, did not have his best year. So for him, maybe saying, look, the, the offers are not where I'd like them to be, and they're not going to get with it where I want them to be. And why not just let the market continue to grow? You know, Kirk Cousins obviously has made the most cash in the NFL of any single player, um, dating back a couple of years because of all the leverage he gained by going on those franchise tags. Does Lamar Jackson want to do that? I'm not sure, but it does make sense like you're saying where because you know the market's always going to go up no matter what, why not make sure you time it where you're coming off the best season of your career and then you strike you know, you know, strike a deal because it's going to be as good as it's going to get. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, is there a quarterback in the draft um, that rises to the level of any of the guys that we've just talked about, whether it's, um, you know, Trevor, and I'm not saying like right now it doesn't look like that, but could there be in terms of a Trevor Lawrence and a Joe Burrow and a Justin Herbert uh, and those sort of guys? Is there a guy that Brad Spielberger is saying, don't sleep on this quarterback in this draft? I'm not sure if any are going to rise to a truly elite quarterback in the NFL. Of course, you never know. I feel like we all think we know every year, and no one, even the smartest you know, quarterback evaluators of all time, truly had no idea what they were doing, frankly. So, I don't know. I personally don't see it from a tools perspective for anyone but Malik Willis. I think he has all the athletic talent in the world, so maybe if he figures things out, it's almost like a Josh Allen where all the tools are there, you got to just figure things out. From a kind of a cerebral standpoint, I think Desmond Ritter is, a, is an NFL-ready quarterback, and, and maybe you know he tested well athletically as well, so maybe he puts it together. But as of right now, yeah, I just, I just don't really see it in this spot. Brad Spielberger, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. You know I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you down the road, my friend. Thank you. Sounds good. You got it. That's Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus breaking it all down. And I'm with Brad Spielberger. Uh, I think if you're the Raiders, you go ahead and uh, make it right by Darren Waller. There's ways to get it done uh, in a way that, you know, pays him for not only what he's done, but what I think he's still going to do. This guy alongside Devontae Adams uh, and Hunter Renfro with with uh, Derek Carr as your quarterback and everything else that you have in the in, in the backfield uh, at, at running back, this thing is ready, set to go. I think the keeping everybody happy, keeping everybody content uh, is a key to this whole thing. And if you're Darren Waller, and if I'm putting myself in Darren Waller's shoes, I am looking around saying, hold on, things have changed since a couple of years ago. Um, we need to look at this thing uh, differently now, and I think it behooves the Raiders to look at it differently as well. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila in Bajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Wednesday. 
Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Our thanks again to uh, Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Damon and I, as we're sitting here uh, in break uh, in the studio, we're watching uh, ESPN telecasting uh, the New York Knicks game. And it's an old school graphics, which looks really cool. Like if you remembered ESPN from the 80s when it first started, uh, that's what it looked like. And they're interviewing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, and it just brings back so many memories listening to him. Damon Cotton, you know, when we talk about the greatest players of all time, it's hard And he always gets lost in translation. He's never really brought up uh, alongside those guys. But when you think about Kareem going back to high school, to college, winning all those national championships, three, his freshman team, when he played at UCLA, Devon, freshmen weren't allowed to play, right? So you had to wait a year before you got your turn. The freshman team at UCLA led by a guy by the name of what he turned out to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, at the time, Lou Alcindor, all right? The varsity team at UCLA went undefeated this year and won the national championship. Their only loss was to the freshman team. <laughs> the freshman team with Kareem and Lou at, at the time uh, and all the studs that they had on that, uh, I think Kermit Washington was on that team. They literally beat the national championships champions as freshmen. But when you really think about what Kareem was able to do in terms of there was nobody bigger in high school basketball than Kareem. He was the number one recruit. Everybody, even before social media and all that, everybody knew who Lou Alcindor was. He ends up going to UCLA, winning three national championships, goes to the NBA, takes a the Milwaukee Bucks, who had just basically started. They were only in existence for a couple of years. Next thing you know, they're in the uh, conference finals. Then they're beating the Boston Celtics to win an NBA championship. I, I want to say he won six or six or seven MVP awards. He won just as many championships uh, as, as Michael Jordan. He owns the scoring record. I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of um, a disservice to him that he's never really talked about, Devon, as, as the greatest player of all time. And when you talk about greatest player of all time, I'm talking all the way through, from high school to college to the NBA. Yeah, just didn't have a great marketing campaign behind him. Well, the marketing campaign was all the highlight shows. And, I, you know, no, no disrespect to uh, to Michael Jordan, but he came along when ESPN was just exploding, and you everybody nationally got a chance n- gets a chance nationally to see all the highlights and everything that you're doing. But before that, there really wasn't. I mean, you might get, you might be able to watch it on the evening news, you know, your local news if they're going to show some some NBA highlights at the time. So a lot of it went. You know, there's a game on the weekend sometimes with the NBA. There wasn't a game every single night, whether it's ESPN or TNT or your even your home market. Heck, when I was growing up in Los Angeles for a, a while, up until like into my high school years, they didn't even show home games of the Lakers in the home market. You had to get like a special package to be able to And even at that point, it wasn't until much later on. Like you couldn't you couldn't watch home games on the local television. They wanted you to go to the games. That's how they looked at things. So the eyeball factor for you know, wasn't necessarily about his marketing guy. It was more No, I'm not I'm not saying it's is of any fault of his own, but yeah. I'm saying he didn't have the campaign behind him. He didn't yeah, there he didn't were, have the power he of he didn't have the shoes, he didn't have the and also his personality 
where Kareem wasn't just Mr. Outgoing Personality no. the way Magic Johnson was on his right. team. And even him being Magic Johnson still doesn't have that sort of cachet where people talk about him being the best player of all time. It is, it's just being caught up in arrows and the boom of cable television. Yeah, that, I just know, wish people would players. really look at like the numbers and the, and the not just the statistics, but the um, the impact and what he did uh, in college. You know, you can, you know, if you want to talk about from beginning to end, nobody had a career as uh, powerful, honestly, as Kareem. Even if you want to talk about like Michael Jordan, I'm not taking anything away from Jordan at all, but. You know, he he was on a team as a freshman that won a national championship, but even in that game, he wasn't the driving force. He had the game-winning shot, but that was James Worthy, Sam Perkins, or a whole bunch of good... James Worthy was the number one pick of that draft that following year. But in in Michael's sophomore and, and junior year, they got beat. They didn't go to the Final Four. They didn't go to the uh, championship game. Um, he fell short, uh, you know, in, in college and not taking anything away. But if you're going from beginning to end at all stages of their career, man, it's hard not to make an argument for Kareem as the greatest player of all time. You can just say you think Kareem's better. I, I, I don't know if he is or not, to be honest you with wanna, you. No, I think I think I think you, if you stack up the resume, he's got a better resume. You think so? Yes. He's yeah. definitely like the resume, the numbers, and I feel like I you, I know you can't do smartest, this for players, smartest athlete. But take with off Kobe like the last three, take off the last three years of his career. When when it comes to the averages, why? So his career averages don't look as impressive. But uh, the, the the two of those last three years that his teams won championships: 1987, 1988, and 1989. To be honest with you, I'm being straight up right here. Yes, they lost to the Detroit Pistons, no question about it. But people need to understand that the Lakers swept into the finals that year. They probably had arguably their best team. But then right before game one of the NBA championship, Byron Scott went down with a hamstring injury. The last practice, the last drill before they were able to – they were closing it up to go start game one against the Detroit Pistons. Byron Scott goes down with a hamstring injury, was lost for the series. Then in game one, uh, Magic Johnson goes down with a hamstring injury too. So by the time – not not taking anything away from the from the uh, from the Detroit Pistons, but things would have been a little bit different. I'm not saying the Lakers would have won, but they could have gone for a three peat. They were in great position to go for a three peat before those two injuries. So even though you want to, and I get what you're saying, if you, statistically Kareem's numbers weren't as good because you know he's getting up there in age, no, but, just his averages, yes. right, right. But but. And and part of that was by structure because with Worthy coming on and you know Magic being Magic, Byron Scott, they had a lot of great players. It was it was better for the team that his, his numbers went down, but they still won. And he went and they they won back to back in eighty seven and eighty eight and fell short against the Pistons um, in eighty nine, largely due to those injuries. So right up to the very end, his teams were competing for championships. And what was interesting, and I might have texted you during uh, winning time, which I'm coming around to. Uh, I think it's sort of settled down and stopped with the all the exaggerations. And just like I said early, said a couple of weeks ago, just stick to the story. The story is great enough uh, as it is. But, but in 1979, when Magic showed up to the scene, Kareem was. I mean, there were people that were calling him, you know, cooked. He wasn't, you know, the, he was done. He was finished. And I think mentally. And I think they alluded to this the last episode where he was like, he's trying to like get out. You know what I'm saying? Remember you had the, the conversation with the girlfriend, man, I thought in a couple of years I could just walk away, you know, with all the finances and everything like that. So he, he had to continue to play. There were a couple of reasons for that too. By the way, his house burned down. Um, it, I don't know if they'll get to it, but 
His house burns down. All of his jazz collection, everything lost in a huge house fire uh, up in Bel Air. And uh, his 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 uh, next door neighbor was a guy by the name of Tom Petty, and helped him recoup. In fact, Kareem used to have the forum for like seven nights a year. You know, like that was part of his contract. You get the forum for seven nights a year to put on whatever you want. And Tom Petty put on con- put on concerts. He was very popular, obviously. Uh, Tom Petty, and that, then the proceeds went back to Kareem to help restore what he lost because he got, and he also was in, in, involved with, uh, I think his agent took some money off him too. So anyway, he had to play. But the best thing about it was that magic shows up with all that exuberance, all that passion, all that energy, and re- to me, revived Kareem. So in 1979, people were writing him off. He ended up playing 10 more years at a very high level. Uh, for at least six or seven of those years. Uh, and a lot of that credit goes to uh, Magic Johnson for kind of getting him back into the swing of things um, and, and restoring some love uh, for basketball. And that's the kind of effect that, uh, that, that, Mag- that Magic had you know, on his teammates. And it took, a little, it took a little doing for some of the veterans, as you saw <laughs> in, in winning time, to kind of come around to Magic and, and the way nobody was playing like that. You know, Nobody was that, fl- not flamboyant, but nobody was that, energetic and having fun and all of that. And, and people also need to understand the NBA at that time, man, it was on its last legs. There were people that were like, this is not a good investment if you're Jerry Buss. This is a league that's falling out of uh, relevance. And then along comes Magic Johnson and along comes Larry Bird and the rivalry that they created in the in the college basketball just immediately happens in the NBA. Magic wins an NBA championship his rookie year at 20 years old. Bird wins it the next year. Then Magic wins it after that. And I want to say Bird won it after that. So it was just like back and forth. And all of a sudden, basketball really took a, a, a turn for uh, for the better. And then after that, a few years later, here comes Michael Jordan to take it to an even a higher level. Oh, no, I agree with you all the way. So you're saying you're back in on winning time? Gonna watch the show, Facebook. Yeah, because Sunday? because what I'm what I'm seeing now is I think they've they've stopped with like some of the exaggerations. Like I and I even I'm, I remember texting you saying they don't need to do that. This story is compelling enough on its own. You don't need to exaggerate the story. The story is a fantastic story from Jerry Buss, who kind of on a on a wink and a prayer bought this team, and then um, there were obviously you've seen where it got a little sketchy with him in terms of the finances, but he survives it and you know becomes one of the great owners in the NBA, a pioneering owner in the NBA, overseeing something that changed sports. There was I no, think you're a little too close to the situation. There was no uh, the hey, I'm not the one that's putting a series on HBO. <laughs> like name me a team that's been a that that that, that they did a series on on HBO. I'll no, I'm, no, I'm saying you're too close to the situation to appreciate the show. Oh no, no, I, I'm appreciating show. it now. I was, I thought there were some mistakes made in the first couple of episodes where they were distorting things, and I think they're getting back down to. It's as about this, entertainment. I, you, I, that's but hear what I'm saying. You could have been entertaining without the exaggerations. You didn't need it. This story was compelling enough, and it's going to get even more compelling. You saw what happened to Jack McKinney. That really happened. I know. I you know yes. what I'm saying. That he's one of the great what ifs in the history of sports, and here's why: we may never have seen Pat Riley. We probably wouldn't have seen Pat Riley, not with the Lakers anyway, because Jack McKinney was somebody that was he got that thing rolling, and I think he would have stayed for a long term. And all of a sudden, he's riding his bike down Mulholland Drive, 
And you saw what happened. The gear just breaks. He goes flying over it and was never the same. And it was like, I remember reading it going, wait a minute, what happened to the Lakers coach? And then that set the stage for Paul Westhead, who was assistant coach. He's the guy that ended up coaching, remember, Loyola Marymount back in the day? Yes. Okay, so what the irony of that is, they win the championship, right? And then in two years later, the next year Magic gets hurt. All right, so 81 Magic gets hurt. He doesn't come back till late in the season. They were never quite the same. They couldn't get the chemistry. They get bounced in the first round of the playoffs by the Houston Rockets. The very next year, Paul West said, the coach. And they start off kind of slow. And everyone's resisting what Paul Westhead is doing. You know what he's doing, which is ironic after you saw what ended up happening to him later on in his career. He wants to slow it down and feed it to Kareem. Slow it down, feed it to Kareem. And Magic and everyone else was like, that's not who we are. We're a running team. We are a team that runs. This is, this is killing us. And about six games into the season, Magic Johnson comes out and flat out says, you either fire him or you trade me. You fire him or you trade me. Two days later, he goes, and he, and he even said, I'd love to go play for the New York Knicks. That was like a big headline in the, New, in the LA Times. People hated Magic after this because two days later, Paul Westhead is fired. Pat Riley becomes the head coach. Jerry West is his assistant. And they end up winning the, the championship that year in 1982. So that's how, the, um, the, uh, that's how Pat Riley gets started, right? He goes from the TV booth down to being assistant coach and head coach and all that after Jack McKinney um, gets hurt. But can you imagine that? Paul Westhead, who ended up becoming the architect of one of the fastest-running offenses in college basketball. Remember, he was at Loyola Marymount. They were just running and running and running and gunning. Scoring 100 points a game? Yeah, in college, right. Um, But people forget, because, again, there wasn't the 24-7 news cycles that we have now. Everywhere Magic went for about two months, everywhere. Sounds like Magic Johnson was a diva. He got booed. He got booed. This is why I'll always respect Magic. It was the right thing to do, and he stood up and did what needed to be done. Th- that wasn't working. It was not working. Everyone knew it wasn't working. He didn't working. give it a chance. Everyone knew it wasn't working, and he took the brunt. He took the hit, and he said, I'll, I'll be the guy, because everyone was talking about it, too. Everyone was like, uh, you know, not happy. You'll, I'm sure they'll get into it um, if this series continues to go on. But, but it ended up leading to... You know, Westhead getting fired, Paul or uh, Pat Riley being instilled as the coach, and the rest is history. Laker fans know what I'm talking about. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Wednesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. We got the NBA playoffs coming up. Major League Baseball starting tomorrow. You always know you're out of spring training when the when all the games on the coast already start getting canceled. Um there's some openers that were supposed to be tomorrow uh, back east that are getting canceled. I think the Yankees got moved. I think the Boston Red Sox. So um, you go from the warmth of Florida and Arizona to the cold uh, that still exists uh, on the East Coast. That's why just start all the games out here on the West Coast. You know why they don't want to necessarily do that, Damon Cotton? Why is that? 
because it's all about the summer. Baseball teams make the most money during the summer when the kids are out of school and you know you can you just maximize that time of year where um, they're coming to the night games and all that. So families are able to to go to more games during the summer. So you want to preserve your summer home schedule. So if you're the West Coast teams, even though it benefits um, baseball because there's less games getting canceled this time of year, they're like, hold on a second. We don't want to give up all our, you know, uh, the, the, a big chunk of our home games in this part of the year. We want to preserve some of that for the summer. So that's why, even though, I mean, there's not many, if you had a team here in Las Vegas, let's say, or obviously in Los Angeles and San Diego and, uh, Arizona, uh, Colorado, you're not getting any weather outs this time of year. Maybe Colorado. It, it, the weather can change there uh, in a hurry. But definitely when you're talking about D.C. and New York and Boston uh, and those places, uh, Philadelphia, you got to deal with the cold weather that still exists uh, at this time uh, of year. But I'm just happy baseball is back. I don't know if you're a baseball fan at all. Um, it's just – I. People ask me, what's your favorite sport? Or, you know, if you had to pick football over baseball, I'm like, you know what? The great thing is, DeMont Cotton, I don't have to. Well, I, I don't mean, have to. If you wanted to answer the person's question honestly, which one do you prefer? Um, which pro- one probably. do you want to watch more? Yeah. Because probably. I'll be honest, I'm not watching a full baseball game. I, it might be on. I may, I may, maybe at a bar. That's. That's where I watch the most of my baseball is at a bar. The, I'll I'll watch a full playoff game. I love baseball. I love uh, playoff baseball games. Uh, I'm with you. Like if it's not the Mets, I'm a Mets fan. So if it's not, if it's not the Mets, I'm not really eager to be watching a full game. But it is fun to watch a couple innings here and there of you know any random game that might be on ESPN or whatever the station is. But if it's my team, I'll I, I definitely like watching um, you know uh, pitch to or uh, first to the ninth inning. But also just having it in the background. Yeah, it's a great background sport. It really is. And it used to be, that's really literally what it, what, again, going back to when I was a kid and home games weren't televised, like you didn't see the Dodgers home games, um, not until much later on, but you had the radio and, you know, you could, you could put, put it on the radio and listen to it and do your thing and just have it there as the background. Perfect uh, description. It's a, it's kind of a background type of a, type of a sport, but the reality is we don't have to choose. That's the beauty of it. There's seasons in life and there's seasons in sports. And right now we're getting down to the great time. When do you start paying attention to the NBA? All season long. For me, I got to a point where, um, like seriously, seriously, it was always sort of right as approaching February, you know, the Super Bowl. Right after that, it became it's on now. <laughs> like who's who's really declaring themselves? And I remember maybe this kind of you know uh, threw me off a little bit or, or changed it because so many coaches would say, "Look, man, I don't even know really I have until about fifty games in. <laughs> yeah. You know, give me about forty five. Then I'll tell you what I got. I'm trying to do my Doc Rivers right now, but uh, you know, so it, 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 it yes, it's important. And and now more than ever, where teams are winning on the road more than they, I think it seems like they were winning more on the road than they. Than, than they ever have. Like back in, back in let's say, the Lakers, or the Celtics. You say back in my day. You know, uh, back in the 80s, home court advantage was really, really important. Like you didn't want to go to Boston Garden for a game seven. You didn't want to go to Chicago for a game seven. Um, you know, and, and nowadays it just seems like it doesn't matter. Like I've seen teams from the lower seeds, you know, go all the way through to the final. I don't know. It just seems a little bit. It seems a little bit different. Getting real back in my dayish over here. Yeah, uh, I thought. I, I really do believe if you were to watch, there's only one sport where I think 
I think the NBA, when when you had Magic and Jordan and Bird and Dr. J and you know uh, Moses Malone and Kareem um, and and Isaiah Thomas uh, and I could go on and on. Carl uh, Malone, John Stockton. I do think the level of play was better back then. I think the rules were a little bit different, and I think that. Yeah, I, I I do. The level of play? Yeah, I do. Yes. You can say the stars maybe were better, but the no, teams I do not are, think that they the, team, the teams were better. Look at the go go uh go pull up like the Lakers roster in nineteen eighty three and, and, and compare it to any roster right now in the NBA. Well that's why the league is also um spread out but expanded, that's the word I'm looking for. That's why the league is expanded to spread out that talent pool. That also, that's what makes the league a little bit more competitive nowadays. I won't, I won't disagree with you. It is more competitive, um, and there is more, way more movement too. I mean, you know, t- players usually stayed where they started uh, back back in those days. But some of the teams that you're talking about, um, like those Celtic teams, like those Bulls teams, um, they're from top to bottom. The one team that kind of reminded me of that a little bit was like how great a team they were were the Golden State Warriors. When they had like, you know, their their championship teams were stacked. Those were like teams, like like a collection of great players, and war, it worked together. That reminded me of one of those Laker teams, the Celtic teams that were just like, oh my god, go ahead. Oh no, well let's say Kareem's last great year, great year. Let's the the um the Paul Westhead, Pat Riley, yes, eighty two, eighty three, eighty two, yeah. Kareem Abdul Jabbar. 23 points a game. Jamal Wilkes, 21 points Jamal a game. Was great. Magic Johnson, 18 points a game. Norm Nixon, 17 points a game. Mitch Kupchak, 14 points per game. Michael Cooper, 11.9. And let's go ahead and round up Bob McAdoo with 10 points per game. And that was before That's Byron seven. and James got there. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, when, when but those. But you can't afford to have. You can't stack teams like that anymore because the. First off, you got to pay people. You got to pay players more. We were talking about that earlier with Darren Waller. Back NFL teams, you could, hey, you could yeah, just you, stack you, players. You could just, you could have like the cupboard full with great players because you you're still can. Paying. You just have to pay a tax, and 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 there weren't the exorbitant contracts that there yes, are now. So it's always you like back, you guys back in the day. Well, yeah. you just can't have teams like that now anymore in any sport. But, but the Warriors did. The Warriors had for for a good three four years. They had like you think about Draymond yeah. Green, Steph, Clay. Um, oh, even, I am so glad you said that because, and those were mostly homegrown players. Yes, homegrown players. But it, this is perfect that you mentioned that team because we're talking about Darren Waller and playing out that deal. The reason that they were able to get a Kevin Durant is because Steph Curry had the ankle issues, so he had to take more. People forget a, about that. A team friendly deal, a deal that hey, you maybe you are worth more, but due to your history, this is the deal that you get. This is a deal that both parties can agree on. And let's say Darren Waller were it, trying to tie back into the Raiders, where hey man, the deal that you signed at the time, maybe you are outperforming that deal a little bit. But that's how the you're team fired, Demond. That's how the team is able <laughs> you're fired. to get those better players. And what do you mean I'm fired? If, if I'm if if you're if but you're no, my agent, I'm, you're but fired. I'm not. I'm not trying to be your agent. But when it comes down to winning, how much does winning mean to you? We all like Tom Brady. Everyone always wants to throw Tom Brady's face, you know, basically in Derek Carr's face, not to him literally, but on the air. We have the callers. Today, Tom Brady took pay cuts. Maybe Derek Carr should do the same. I think Derek for, Carr will for and those it, Warrior yeah. teams. You don't get if, if Steph Curry's like, hey man. 
my ankle's fine. I'm putting up. I'm averaging over 25 a game. I want the max. We just made. We just won the finals. What, we what? lost to LeBron. If Steph Curry's like, hey, that's two finals appearances in a row. Now I want the max. You can't get Kevin. What Durant. is uh, Steph's uh, career earnings? Look that up, because because he's he's made that up. He's 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 yes, definitely he's made, made that it up. up. No, but you, no, now you're just trying to uh, you're you're dismissing my argument. I'm not dismissing it. it you're, you're right. I think football is different than basketball. The longevity issue is a lot, um, and and also this, uh, uh, Darren Waller getting paid um, accordingly is not going to break the Raiders, you know, and it's not going to deny them being able to like you're talking about bringing Kevin Durant. Like he doesn't take a pay cut. Or, or or do that for anybody short of somebody like that. Like, that was a very unique kind of a situation to bring in arguably at the time the best player in the world. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I understand what, what you're saying, um, but he's made that money up tenfold. And how old is he now? Steph, um, he's 32 years old. Their first championship season, he made $10 million. The second, they lose to LeBron. 11 million. And then also with Kevin Durant's first year, 12 million dollars. It wasn't until 2017-18 that he finally got the big max payday yeah. and jumped up to 34 million. Yeah. But I think that that was probably that's a situation but where But it's still a percentage of the cap. We see we yeah, all yeah, saw no that doubt. graphic where but you also, you're not really winning if you're play, if you're paying a player if he's like take, taking the, the highest paid at his position or the percentage of the cap that he's using up. Yeah, yeah, but but and that's where being a home, but that's where him being a homegrown player helped because and, I, and I'm sure there were assurances like, look, you're you know that we're gonna take care of you. Short of him having some you know uh, major injury that would have cut short his career. Period! Exclamation point. He was gonna get his money, which he ended up doing. If you're the Raiders right now, it's hard to tell somebody like Darren Waller, just be patient. We're gonna get to you in this kind of a sport. In this, you know what I'm saying, like. I understand what Steph did, and I totally uh, appreciate what he did uh, in, in that regard. But there was always – you're going to get taken okay, care of. Okay, so back to, to DeAndre Hopkins. We said, like, now he's the fifth – he's fifth on the chart. I in, think he's good with that. High, yes, but at, at what point are players – do you think it's fair to say, hey, man, you just signed that deal two years ago. Like, some, sometimes you just have to play that deal. It doesn't matter if someone else gets paid more. Um. Because What's DeAndre Hopkins' guaranteed number was what 60? 60, 60 million guaranteed. He's 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 okay. But I'm saying we're. I think every player I, at every position, yeah. where, where someone resets the market or someone gets paid more, when it, someone could pull the, out their numbers and say, "Hey, I think I deserve a little bit more." Yeah, to be so perfectly. What does it end? When when you're getting doubled, <laughs> what like Darren Waller is right now? When you're getting doubled by guys that you can realistically say, um, you're you're you're. Pretty much right there with them. You can you can argue that Kittles is better overall, or Travis Kelsey is better overall, but it's not like that's a conversation that is absurd to even put Darren Waller into that category because you can realistically you can. So it, when those numbers have doubled up on him, I think that that's when if if it's a couple million here or they're like I don't expect. Um, DeAndre, or, or excuse me, uh, Devontae Adams now to be upset because, what is it, five, six million dollars less than he's making on the guaranteed? Yeah. No. Like that, at that point, no, you don't You don't come back and say, hey, we need to redo this. But when it's doubled and uh, Darren Waller is like the 11th highest paid guy right now, um, I think that that's when everybody has, it's, it's kind of like what Stephon Diggs just did. 
You know, I think that everybody realized, both sides realized, look, this is, this is, we need to do something about this. Because he got um, put in the dust, basically, by these new contracts. And so the Buffalo Bills recognized that. Uh, Stephon Diggs obviously recognized that. And they made, they, 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 they did right by him. And I think that in Darren Waller's case, you're probably going to see something along those lines. I don't know, you know, uh, how that's going to look, but, but. As Brad Spielberger said, something short term that gives him some new money um, and and rewards him for what he does, what he's done, and really what he means. Because this offense with Darren Waller and Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro and Josh Jacobs and uh, Foster Moreau and Brian Edwards and everything that they have, Derek Carr, obviously, this has a chance to be a special, special offense. And I think that making right by Darren Waller uh, to to pull, push him back up to where he really realistically belongs. I think it's the right thing to do. Um, it, Here's my thing where you say, like, doing right by him. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they did wrong by I'm him to begin that, with. But, no, but when you say, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, the team maybe took advantage of him. No, you signed no, the no. deal where it's, the team didn't do anything wrong I to don't, him. I'm not saying that they did. But, but the world changed. And I think it's okay as an organization to say – all right, we're not that we did wrong by you, but now that the things, now that everything's changed, to do right by him again and say, you know what, you're worth this to us, and you've proven to us that you're as good as those guys, and we want to reward you justly, make this thing a, a big happy family, and uh, have everybody happy and all that good stuff. So I think that he's in that position, and I think the Raiders are in position to do that as well. I want to say thanks to Brad Spielberger. I want to say thanks to Sam Gordon. Thank you guys for always bringing the enlightenment and the heat. Thank you to Devon Cotton for the great show. Uh, to all our listeners, we truly appreciate it. We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur.